and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 24th of July 2013. So welcome to week four. We've lasted four weeks, folks, on the weekly podcast. And joining me for this edition, our AV Forum's assistant editor, Steve Withers. Very good evening to one and all. Movies editor, Simon Crust. Is this a piece of your brain? Games editor, Mark Botwright. Evening, Phil. News editor, Mark Hodgkinson. Overdressed and ready to go. And hardware reviewer, Ed Selly. It's just too damn hot. So here we are, and another weekly podcast. Lots to get through. Um, now, lots of things also happening in the news at the moment and stuff that we're not going to go into in too much detail because things are still developing. We're recording this on Monday night. Um, so we're still waiting on the Royal Baby. I don't think anybody's interested here on that no, one. Really. Can't we just record two versions? <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful boy. <laughs> one where we, one where we don't a care. No, no, no. Wait, wait, and one wait, where wait. we don't as, care. <laughs> hold on a second. As, as you have literally said this, um, apparently it's a boy, so I win a one-pound bet with my wife. <laughs> really? We've actually got breaking news on the podcast. That's on the podcast, yes. which will be two days late when it comes. <laughs> There's that happening right now as we speak, and it'll probably be old news by the time the podcast goes out. I still uh, don't care. The other bit of news <laughs> is, guys, um, David Cameron, in his uh, righteousness, wants to stop porn uh, going into people's homes. What do we think? Oh, no, it's worse than that, actually, because I also read somewhere that he was talking about um, you know, things, streaming stuff's going to be rated as like like videos and movies, can which we, currently it isn't. So, Can we just clarify something? What's mm-hmm. pornography? It's something that causes sexual thought but has no artistic merit. That's the definition of under the Supreme Court in the US. Ah. And why it's do you know every that? advert I've ever seen. Why do you know that, Steve? Why do I know that? Uh, yeah. Well, it was a court case a couple of years ago that I was involved in. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> was it in Hong Kong? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing here is, I mean, what kind of simplified internet does David Cameron use? This is the thing. I mean, how do you, how do you put this into practice? And how do you filter it out? You know, how how do you filter it out? And how do you stop people? And and uh, I guess Ed. Um, this is also quite serious in the fact that, well, if if we start censoring this side of the internet, who are we to tell China, Saudi Arabia and other countries what they can and can't block on the internet? It, it's a door that we just don't want to open. I- ignoring the whole personal freedoms and the, the whole grisly idea of opting in to be on a no doubt nationally collated porn register, um, you're absolutely right. It is a, a losing a, a piece of moral high ground that you can never, ever regain. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm borderline on the Charlton Heston cold dead hands at this point, but that's an altogether different sexual fetish that probably would be cracked down on quite quite tightly, I suspect. <laughs> um, it is the thin end of the wedge, though, isn't it? And, and you know, if they start this, where else is it going to go? Yeah, well, this, I mean, is, this is a concern. Ultimately, thing, isn't par- parenting is down to the parents. They can't they can't do it via the state. They should let parents do their job and, and you know, raise their children in a correct manner and leave the rest of us alone with our internet and our pornography. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that, that was the point. I mean, we're not we're not saying it's it, you know he's he's uh, his ideas here, and yes, there should be protection in place so people are not you know uh, I was going to say coming over this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> More Everything than I need sounds to. Sounds wrong now. <laughs> the thin end of the wedge almost had me. <laughs> It's, it's, I, it's, it's, I had you wedged, did I, Mark? Yes. 
Oh, let's let's not go there. We'll we'll, we'll be getting back into the territory of reviewing. Uh, what was it? The uh, uh, the 3D version of the, the Lovers Bullshit. Guide or whatever it was. <laughs> so let's not go there. I think it's quite hard actually these days with tablets and smartphones makes it a bit more difficult. It's a bit more, um, they're a bit more personal, aren't they, if you know what I mean. And they'll have these in their possession when they're out and about and, and, and not with their parents. So it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to police, I think, for the parents all the time. Well, I said we were only going to get into it because knowing this government, there'll be a U-turn on Tuesday and by the time the podcast goes out on Wednesday, it'll all be forgotten about. But uh, that is what's going on at the moment. So breaking news that doesn't come out to Wednesday on the Royal Baby. So let's change tact completely. Let's go to hardware news. And uh, Future Source, who do a lot of research, market research uh, in the areas that we cover, have just published uh, their latest report about 4K TV and TV sales in general. And it's looking a lot rosier at this moment in time, Mark, than it did last year. Right, in, in terms of both, Phil, actually. Um, yeah, the TV market's actually picking up globally. Um, for it's, it, it went down 6% last year in total. Um, I actually scrubbed that, it didn't, did it? It's going to go up 6% <laughs> this year from, from last year. Uh, largely driven by the, the new world markets. Um, probably more interestingly for us uh, is that they're predicting 4K will reach mainstream levels by 2017 so while a, a predicted shipment saw as low as 62,000 last year for 4k tvs actually i thought that's a bit higher than expected the rising to 22 million in 2017 uh, driven by increased consumer awareness increased hardware availability and of course the main driver uh, actual content so by 2015 future source are expecting content to be there and, and ready for us to watch. Um, it, it echoes something that um, Samsung said a couple of weeks ago, almost exactly the same thing, so I'm not sure whether they're just using the same, the same data or not. Um, this, they're saying it's a more natural progression for the market than 3D ever was, and that the, uh, the public will get it more. So, um, yeah, that, that, it's, if, if that's to be believed, then it's all, it's all looking rosy for 4K, but of course it's probably not going to be as simple as all that. So, so new world markets, that's Mars, Amiga 6. Yeah, yeah. No, you mean emerging markets, don't you? <laughs> new, did I say? Yeah, okay, emerging yeah. markets. The new world order. New world <laughs> you know, market. Brazil, India, that lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been talking non-stop about 4K. We're going to continue to talk about this for the rest of the year and into the new year. IFA and CES are just going to be full of 4K TVs. Um, lots of talk about a Korean uh, test channel, Mark, for Ultra yeah, HD. Yeah, that was that something that came out um, in Korea. It emerged in the Western press today, but it was, it was actually last week. Um, the Korean Broadcasting, um, I, I can't remember the acronym now, but their, their um, affiliation of broadcasters are uh, rolling out five Ultra HD channels for, uh, for trialling in the homes a little bit ahead of schedule, I think six months ahead of schedule, uh, with a proposed commercialised rollout in 2014, so next year. Um, at the moment, it's in the total of six houses. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so it's not exactly a widespread test. Not a widespread... Uh, I think it's a little bit of one-upmanship over the Japanese, to be honest. You know, they don't get on too well. Yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, re reading the article, that's what I got. You know, Japan, we're going to do the same thing, NHK rolling out there. Uh, 4K system and it just seems it just seems to be one upmanship. Well, we got there before you did. Yeah, I even think though it's, it's precisely, precisely that really testing it to six people is it's not really. The that real question is: Are they using an LG or a Samsung TV in those six houses, <laughs> or was it well, three of each? LG is supposed to be uh, behind the sponsorship, so you'd have to guess it. Oh, well, that, that LG. You'd have to guess they're, they're LG employees, actually. In fact, wouldn't you? 
CEA have decided that it's going to be called Ultra HD and Sony uh, not happy with that. Yeah, they decided that was decided. I think it was uh, October last year. I think there's 260 odd members members of the CEA, something like that. And they did, then they decided on the on the name Ultra HD to uh, to describe the uh, new higher resolution format. Uh, and a little tidbit from um, an interview with the CEA Daily, actually, coincidentally, or perhaps not. Um, it was an interview with uh, one of the uh, Sony US's bigwigs um, over there. And he let slip that he didn't actually necessarily think that Ultra HD was the correct name. And he thought it might be better. Uh, well, 4K might be uh, easier for the public, easier for the search engines. Uh, and just generally a more impactful title for the, for the next big thing in video. Yeah, so I, I mean, what, agree what, with you on that one actually. Yeah. I think I do as well, which is why I picked up on it. I, 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 I think I said it at the time. I didn't really believe Ultra HD in the name. But then you got Joe Kane in the US saying we should be calling it twenty one sixty p. Yeah, perhaps. Um, it's been perhaps a bit later. I think, I think that. Uh, but you see, I've, doesn't I've, exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Really? No, it doesn't. It no. doesn't, and and it doesn't really work the same as ten eighty works. If you say four K, I think most people. Once you explain it's four times the resolution HD in terms of marketing, that kind of it just makes more it's, sense. It's nice and simple. It's nice and simple to understand, isn't it? And anyone can grasp that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think 4K. I think the industry. Well, the, I mean, Sony are continuing to brand their products uh, with 4K. Both, they? Yeah, using. But I think everyone is. To be honest, everyone is. They're all. They're all using it. So 4K is going to become the. It's still an easier thing to say. Isn't well, I mean, it? what happens when it, when 8K comes along? Are they going to call that Ultra Ultra HD? Mm. Yeah, super yeah. Ultra HD. <laughs> Califagilist gets behind those high definition television. <laughs> you, you, you've forgotten the use of mega. We've got mega HD. Mega's left. Course. Mega's in reserve. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's oh, scheduled for 2150, uh, 2, I think. Mega. There's Uber as well. You know, we could get a more continental. Yeah, connotations of the Nazis with Uber, though. Really. Yeah, mm, I, th- I think it's time to take Uber back. <laughs> <laughs> take Uber back from the Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, or we could call it Ultra HD NATO. That seems to be the trend <laughs> nowadays. No, I like that. <laughs> There's one person on the podcast tonight who has pleasure of looking at 4K images at the moment, and that's Steve. You've got the Sony X9 in for review at the minute. The 65-inch, it's going to come to the market at £6,000. Uh, you've had all weekend... Oh, at the market, I think. How much? So when, so you've... Six, it's 5999 Right. No at, way. And the 55-inch well, is 4K. 3999 yeah. yeah. So... You've had all weekend uh, to pleasure yourself with 4K. Uh, what, what did you think? With my unblocked broadband connection. And your power glove. <laughs> my power glove last weekend. The winner. Uh, sorry, what did you say? What did I think of it, Phil? I have to say, um, I actually think it's a, it's a very impressive television. Um, not just, I mean, I have got a little 4K box that they've sent me with some native, some content on it. There's um, some travel log stuff. And there's a little clip of uh, Total Recall, um, the remake, and uh, also the trailer for After Earth, the um, M. Night Shyamalan movie. And um, yeah, it looks, it look, I mean, you can tell the difference between 4K and 2K, by what other people might say. Uh, you can even, I mean, we've seen it on Phil, haven't we, on TV on a 24 inch monitor. We saw some di- um, differences between t- uh, 1080p 20 and inch. 4K. 20 inch studio monitor. 20 inch, yeah. yes. And uh, obviously, I, I, I saw the. 84 inch last year and i've had the vw thousand in that was on about a 10 foot screen so we i've seen 4k at different screen sizes this is one of the smaller screen sizes although 65 inches isn't exactly small by anyone's standards um and yes you, you i mean 4k looks amazing but what's impressed me is that it, how well it upscales 1080p 
which clearly is what's going to be job, doing really, isn't it? most of the time, yes, <laughs> in the absence of any actual native content. It's going to be doing, and I've got to say that uh, upscale Blu-rays do look really good. I know Sony have been banging on about this and, and they've been you know, spreading a bit of disinformation with their, you know, mastered in 4K thing and this kind of stuff. But actually, in all fairness, uh, the scaling and the reality creation engine uh, work really well on the 4K panel and 1080p content does look absolutely superb on it. It's, I mean, the the... W990 that I reviewed a few weeks ago was was an impressive TV for an LED LCD TV. I thought it was really good, uh, and this has all those all those sort of you know advantages plus the addition of high resolution panels. So I mean, it is a great TV. It's also absolutely gorgeous to look at. So I mean, Sony are always quite good at design, but this is a really attractive TV even when it's not on. Does the sound good? Does it, does yeah, sound and the sound good? is superb on it. Yeah. Uh, really, really impressive sound quality. I mean, it, to be fair, I mean, you are paying a pretty big premium here for something that you're not going to be able to watch for another, well, according to the future source, two more years at least. And um, although I noticed on the box, there's a big, lots of emblazoned on the box, Brasilia 2014 for the World Cup. So there's a fair bet they're going to be, at the very least, filming it, World Cup in 4K. But World Cup 2014 will be a tipping point, I think, in terms of some sort of uh, 4K content. And then hopefully by 2015, we'll be into something else like uh, some kind of physical delivery system. It's not that much of a premium, though. I mean, well, the 84 uh, inch is £20,000. Well, yeah, true, true. That was ridiculously overpriced. Um, I think 55 inch no, uh, 4K TV, 399, actually pretty good. You would pay two and a half grand for a 55 inch. 1080p, yeah, you know, flagship TV. Five years ago, you're paying almost that money for a, a 60-inch Curo. Uh, well, I mean, if you go back 10 years, you'd have paid uh, you'd have paid 10 grand for a, a flat-screen standard definition uh, TV. Uh, so, uh, in that sense, yeah, it, it offers exceptional value. In that sense, uh, mm. you are essentially paying a premium though for something that you can't really use yet. So the question really is whether you think. And the other problem, and we discussed this, I think, last week or the week before. The other problem we've got is, of course, that there isn't any established standards yet. So if they go along and say, and I know Sony have said, oh, don't worry, it'll be future-proofed. Well, I looked at the back of this TV. I can't see any sort of slots for putting in a new HDMI board. So if they move to HDMI 2.0 and if they agree on 4K up to 60 hertz or even more, more like 120, um, your TV's you know, going to need to be either taken back to the factory to be changed or it's going to be redundant. So there are, you know, there are still issues, and you are taking, like any early adopter, I guess, you're taking a certain risk. How does how does it look in terms of clouding and uniformity? Actually, not actually uniformity is pretty good. There's a bit of you know, obviously a bit of brightness at the edges, but overall the uniformity is not bad at all, and the local dimming works really well. I mean, as an LED LCD TV it is actually quite impressive. A friend of mine came around last night, and he was going like, "That's really good." I mean, because he's used to seeing the Kuro and things like that, and he actually was one of the few, probably the first time I've ever seen him genuinely impressed by an LED LCD TV, you know, and saying this is, I think this is an amazing picture. The 3D, because it, obviously it's passive 3D, but because it, it's a 4K panel, you're getting 1080p to each eye, is absolutely stellar. I mean, easily the best 3D I have ever seen on anything. Um, just in the nick super. of time. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you are into your 3D, um, uh, th- that's almost reason enough to buy it. If you're a massive fan of 3D, you are getting spectacular total lack of crosstalk, absolutely no flicker, staggering levels of detail, beautifully bright, really, really good 3D. And the um, motion, motions are all right, not, not too yeah, much motion Yeah, hand, motion handling is really impressive too, uh, really good motion handling. I mean, it is a class TV, don't get me wrong. It, it's a great TV. Just I think the fact is you're, you are paying a premium for a, for a feature that ultimately isn't going to be used much yet. But like I said, the, the upscaling works really, really well. Um, so... You know, I, I was watching, uh, I actually put on uh, Total Recall because I've got the Blu-ray. I played the same scene 
the scene on scene I've got in 4K and the same scene in 1080p. And I've got to be honest here, whilst you could tell that 4K had more resolution, the 1080p looked bloody good. Uh, you know, I, I, my friend and I were th- sitting there thinking, well, actually, that, that old 1080p can look really good when it's handled well. And so you, you probably could watch. I could have probably brought someone in there, told them it was 4K, and they would have believed it. And I think that is going to be a bit of an issue with the smaller screen sizes for the manufacturers. They're trying to flog it on the basis of higher resolution. It has to be quite apparent. Okay, well, we're going to have to move on um, because we've got lots to talk about. So coming up next is movie news. So moving on to movie news, of course, it was the San Diego Comic Con annual event where lots of films are announced lots of plans for tv programs are announced as well as comic books it's it looks like a fascinating event it's something i've always wanted to go along just to see people dress up in the cosplay because it looks fantastic from the photographs that you see everybody walking around as their favorite games characters or comic book characters or movie characters it looks absolutely brilliant uh, so some big news coming out of there simon you got some of the headlines in front of you uh, what's coming up I do, um, but just before I go into that, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that because you go to CES. I view the Comic Con a bit like CES. Millions of people can't see anything. That's how I think these these, these things are. You go to these places, you think, right, I want to go to this stall over here. I want to sit on this press account and I want to see what they're going to say over there. But there's so many people and everyone's got some kind of axe or sword or, or, or gun or whatever. I, I would think it would be absolute hell on earth. I wouldn't want to go to one of those things. I'd much rather send someone like you and watch the video. I think that'd be way better. <laughs> oh, thanks, Simon. Um, no worries. No, but, but, yeah, I mean, I would love to go, and I, I think Steve's probably the same. I mean, it's something yeah, that we'd love to go and, and cover, and, and who knows, maybe in the future uh, we will go over there and, and do the whole memorabilia, Comic Con, movie launch thing in future. But at the minute, you know, it's just one of those <laughs> things, isn't it? It's as just, long as you go in costume, that, that I think is that stipulation that needs to be made here and now, that you would need to go fully in, fully in the spirit of the thing. Well, I think what would you choose, Phil? I think I think I'm a bit anyway. Aren't you a little fat for a stormtrooper? I was just going to say. <laughs> I was just going to say it would have to be a, a rotund uh, character, unless you know my diet works and I and I lose what I want to lose. But um, uh, or, yeah. or, or a late original <laughs> yeah. series, Scotty. That could work quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Anyway, moving on. Um, it seems that, uh, well, uh, I suppose that one, one of the biggest news is coming, is coming from uh, Disney stroke Marvel, as they are, um, planning for the, the, the next Avengers sequel um, with, the, with the upcoming films Thor The Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, all planned. Guardians of the Galaxy. Which one's that? Yeah, Who's it's that? James Gunn's film that's coming out uh, next summer. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's not. I'm not. I'm not. I must admit, I'm not that familiar with Marvel apart from that Spider-Man. Uh, I've never been a big Marvel comic reader. Interestingly, um, that's not on this release here. No, well, and, that's because that's the Marvel. Today, it's, Andrew, um, what's his name? Andrew Garfield talking about it, saying how it's going to be so great. Um, I don't know. That, that's I, Sony rather than Marvel Disney, because Sony have got Spider-Man and Fox have got um, X-Men. Sony have already announced doing Spider-Man 3 in 2016 and Spider-Man 4 in 2018, so they are milking this <laughs> the last penny they possibly can. Okay. Apparently, we booted it five years after it finished the last round. 
Um, yeah, I don't know anything about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's about some space uh, sort of policeman kind of thing. But it's all they've all got this grand phase two plan. So phase one was Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and Thor and Captain America and then the Avengers. And phase two is going to be, you know, well, the ones you just listed, Simon, plus yeah. um, Ant-Man, which Edgar Wright's directing. And that's all going to feed into Avengers 2. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a big character, Ant-Man. Big character. Well, again, I've never even heard of Ant-Man. He just sounds stupid, <laughs> you, to be honest. It's starting to get a little bit silly now. <laughs> you, you know what? I'm sitting here banging my head off the desk because I am absolutely sick of these superhero movies. Come on. Think well, of something new. It, yeah, this is, it's yeah, just okay. one after the other after the other. Yeah, Slight. Yeah, 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 there are quite a lot of them, but it's a known quantity, isn't it? There's a guaranteed audience, which is why they do it. Um, and I think it's quite good that they're sort of diverging into slightly lesser known characters. Perhaps that will make a more interesting film. I don't know. I think that as the, the, the element is they're going for superhero films because they're risk averse. They're not going to take the decision to produce something on a risk averse basis and then be ambitious with it. It just strikes me as, 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 as you know, a, a very unlikely state of affairs. I was reading an article, actually cropped through on the Dig aggregator, uh, actually about a month ago, um, where it's it, it it's interesting. All the films have just been reeling off. If it was essentially taking spread bets on which one of them is actually going to officially pop the superhero superhero bubble, sorry, and um, and 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 bring an end to this, and uh, we'll move on to to whatever the next craze might be. Doesn't show any signs of abating just yet. I mean, Iron Man. Well, no, no, no. I, I completely dollars. agree, but it's um, it it it's amazing how quickly these sort of the these sort of Although, exercises can turn. Man of Steel wasn't as big a hit as one of us would have liked. I have to say. Well, it's because it wasn't very good. Well, there is that to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, I'm this learning is as I go. <laughs> this is this is the whole thing. This is just getting silly now. It really is. Come on. I'd rather they didn't spend two hundred million on a film and give us something original rather than you know, putting all the money in, into this thing. I mean, you, Steve, were saying, Man of Steel. The one thing you were concerned about was all the human casualties that were happening during the last battle in the film. Because yeah, I was really bored stiff at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, and now, now with the big news that you know Batman's going to be in the next Man of Steel movie, it's like, oh, come on, give it a break, guys. That yeah. just, that's a slight desperation on the part of Warners, to be honest. That they think, oh, well, Batman made a billion dollars. We better bung him into it. But what Marvel did originally was quite clever, I think, and and risky. I mean, they, they initially, before they were bought by Disney, they were self-funding these films using sort of second-rate, lesser-known characters. So Iron Man, not that well-known. Thor, not that well-known. I mean, I'd heard of them, but they weren't big names like Spider-Man or the X-Men. So they, their plan was to... Um, make a series of films that were interconnected with the idea of doing the Avengers. So it was all planned from the beginning, um, you know, and they self-funded them and plowed that re the revenue from those films back into the budgets for the next ones. You know, and it paid off magnificently when the Avengers clocked up $1.6 billion at the box office. Um, you know, and now they're into phase two where they're doing trying to do exactly the same thing again. Whether that one will pay off so handsomely, I'm not sure. But I but do trust just... Joss Whedon to a certain extent. Sorry, isn't it just basically the same that they've been doing with the comics since you know since yeah, the kinda, 70s yeah, basically which is crossovers and then the idea is is that you you increase your market for the comics and then you know you go back to the individual stories and then you collate the characters again and then they, they've been doing that yeah, for decades. Really nice. sorry, with, with a comic though it's not quite the same as spending 200 million on the film is it <laughs> no but i mean so the, the theory is still the same yeah, exactly. You know, it is, it's a sound theory. Certainly it's worked in the comic world. And it's definitely worked as far as the Avengers goes. 
and I can see Warner Brothers. I'm sorry, yeah, Warner Brothers who own DC Comics. You know, have been looking at this, thinking, well, we've got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. You know, and they're, th- they're looking at what Disney, Marvel are doing, and thinking, well, we want a bit of that. So they've obviously started by th- it smacks desperation to suddenly bring in Batman into the second Superman movie. The funny thing uh, is, is that the criticism with regards, say, the comics, because I'm perhaps a little bit more of a comic geek than the rest of you guys, but is traditionally they tend to lose there there is that moment where the bubble bursts where they kind of there's this cross pollination that goes on and proves incredibly profitable for a while until they finally kind of trip over themselves with successive writers overlaying the stories and too many origin stories and by the time it actually becomes complex people actually tune out and i wonder whether the same thing's going to happen here with regards i mean we've even seen it with the reboot of spider-man at a given point, people kind of say, well, we've seen that. You know, we, we know what we consider to be the canon. And if you deviate too far from that, then people actually switch off. How are they going to make Batman fit into a Superman world, given that Nolan's Batman, you know, was very much grounded in, in a degree of reality? And I know they made Superman look a bit more real, realistic in, in, in Man of Steel. But ultimately, it's still a flying alien. Um, and but Christian Bale isn't going to be playing Batman. So they've got to recast Batman. It just seems like a really dumb move. It's interesting that a good friend of mine last night on, on, on his Twitter feed just popped up with uh, still in shock news Zack Snyder is co-writing and directing a Batman Superman team up for release. I'll probably give that a miss given how little he understands Superman and then a full stop next tweet or humans, which I thought was uh, <laughs> a nice touch. Right, okay, enough enough with the comic heroes, comic book hero movies and so on. Uh, Rumours doing the rounds at Comic-Con, and this oh. is what we've all been wanting, and oh, yes. is this going to happen? Because uh, as soon as I saw the rumours hitting the net, I thought, yes, get in there. So that's the original versions of Star Wars, Empire and Jedi prior to the release of Episode Seven. Are we going to see it? Oh, God, I think Disney to, are clever enough to realise that that is a brilliant way of marketing Episode 7 and making a ton of money at the same time. They'll sell like a cure for cancer. Well, I mean, they're not stupid, are they, Disney? No. Uh, they're not stupid. No, they they not. know they're going to make their money. They'll release them in a theatrical run, then release them on Blu-ray, and they'll make an absolute killing from it. Um, and, you know... Um, for once and, and more to the point giving the public what they want for god's sake yeah i mean well, totally instead of lucas being deliberately obtuse and difficult and and you know, i think just screwing with us frankly um, oh, was it a plan uh, no no was I don't it think great I think a plan great way to hike up the price though yeah but you know if it's the originals i'll pay it if, if it, you've if got that in your locker then why would you release it if you know that you can sell to a company that could rinse it even more than you can yeah i mean it's it, it, I'm going to pay the money. Oh, well, yeah, we will. It's as simple as that. And I just hope that, you know, with this, we we see some decent documentary stuff, some decent behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of Jamie Benning, who's made a number of film documentaries uh, on the original trilogies. Uh, they're all on Vimeo and YouTube uh, and they're about two hours long for each of them. They, they actually run the length of the movie and as the movie's playing, it cuts to all the deleted scenes, it cuts to the really interesting interviews. I mean, this is the stuff that should have been on the discs uh, yeah. that came out two years ago. You know, they were yeah. charging a 60-odd quid for this box set. I think it was even dearer than that, wasn't it? 70 quid, 69 pounds, 70 pounds? Yeah, it was. And, you know, it was the raft of extras. It was like, you know... 
And it was, it was all minimum the special effort. I don't know whether maybe because he knew he was selling them that, he, that they didn't make it because it was well about a year before it was announced. So they must have been in talks at that point. Whether whether they just didn't care anymore, and just because it, it smacked of total lack of effort on the part of Lucasfilm, didn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. And so if anybody's interested, Jamie Benning uh, is on. Yeah, they're video. really good. I... Go and watch them. They're really good. He also did one on Indiana Jones, and he's mm. just released one on Jaws, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet. It's really interesting stuff. It's all the behind-the-scenes stuff that you want to see. It's all the deleted stuff that you want to see. Even in his Star Wars one, he's got the uh, Luke and Biggs. Biggs. Uh, he's got all the deleted stuff in there because he, Luke was supposed to be introduced as the first battle was going on um, yeah. in the original film, and it's really interesting to see. Um, it would have ruined the pace of the film had it been left in, but it's interesting to see. So that, that's big news. Other big news, Simon, Bond 24. Yeah, it, w- it was announced. I actually thought this was, it seems like pretty old news to me. I, th- I kind of thought I knew this. Perhaps I absorbed it, it by a, osmosis. Um, Bond 24 um, will star Danny Craig, but we kind of all knew that. It's going to be written by John Logan, which I think we kind of knew, and it's going to be directed by Sam Mendes, which I think we knew as well. So I don't know that this is huge, groundbreaking news, well, but actually, at least it's... Uh, Mendes wasn't confirmed until yeah. just last week. Um, okay. So it was a bit of, will I, won't I? Uh, but he has now confirmed. So that was why uh, it was given a big announcement at Comic-Con, because Mendes is on board for it. And slated for October next year? I, or the, no, no year October after. 2015. I'm 2015. assuming the, the, that's, I mean, that's a hell of a long time away. You could shoot a film a damn sight quicker than that. I mean, it's not like it's a big effects movie, is it? They've obviously worked themselves around his schedule. They obviously thought, well, it's a billion dollars on the table here. We want the guy back. We'll do whatever he wants to make him happy to do it. so Yeah, totally. Uh, and you, you other guys looking forward to this one? I mean, after the big success of Skyfall, and apart from Adele's bloody song, Apple Crumble. Um, Scaffold. <laughs> Scaffold. Uh, any other guys interested? No. <laughs> Don't ask me either. Never are, are you? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm done with Bond. I'll, I'll be honest, it, it bores the arse off me now. It really does. You know. Philistine. <sighs> Half a car advert, half a tuxedo advert. Some young oh, bin will get killed. I don't know. Oh, you're forgetting the main one. It's a, it's, it's an, an hour and a half of Sony advert product placement. <laughs> don't forget watches. They need to get those in there as well. Bond 24, it's coming. Some of us are excited. Mark's going to miss it. I've got to say, I, I didn't really get the whole Skyfall thing. It was a good film, but I, I, it still baffles me that it made as much money as it did. It was a zeitgeist film. It was zeitgeist. It was the... Uh, With the Olympics thing. Olympics yeah. and yeah. the Jubilee and everything. That's one of the reasons why it's successful in the UK. Although it was obviously very successful in the entire world. I think this was just a very cool Britannia thing going on at the yeah. time. So to wrap up, let's see what's at the cinema. So Steve, what's at the cinema? Well, we mentioned Edgar Wright a few minutes ago, talking about Ant-Man. This is his current film, opened at the weekend, and it's The World's End, which is the third and, assumably, final part of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, started with Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and now The World's End. With Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, all the gang. In fact, just about everyone who's been in any of those films pops up at some point, and it. it's got a lot of cameos. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, I've been looking forward to this. I think probably most of the other people here have been looking forward to it too. Uh, big fans of the first two movies. I went to go and see it on last night, actually Sunday night, uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was um, it's basically uh, a bunch of friends, school friends, attempt to pub crawl when they're eighteen. Don't manage to finish it. It's twelve pubs, uh, one pint in each pub, <laughs> and they only get as far as about the ninth pub before it all falls apart. Uh, and in later life, in their sort of late thirties, one of them round Simon Pegg's character rounds them all up together to go back to New Haven where they grew up, 
uh, and to complete the golden mile and do all the pubs and drink pints in each one. And when they get there, um, halfway through the pub crawl, they realise that maybe things aren't quite what they seem in the town, and maybe the fact that everything seems different isn't because they've changed, but because the town actually has changed, uh, which I won't go into in detail because I don't want to spoil the plot. I actually uh, enjoyed the first half of the film more when it's just them on a pub crawl than the latter half of the film when all the action stuff happens because it, it just, I just, you know, it felt like almost, and it is to a certain extent, two films put together. Uh, the original idea of the pub crawl was a, a screenplay that Edgar Wright wrote years ago called Pub Crawl about a bunch of kids going on a pub crawl, um, which obviously forms the basis of the pre-credit sequence and then and, and elements of the rest of the film. And then they've shoehorned in this other bit where there's, you know, kind of an, I guess, end of the world, apocalypse, alien invasion, robots thing going on. And I guess it ties in with things like Sean. I mean, they've made effectively three genre films and, and then put, turn them on their heads to a degree, which is, which is clever. And it is very funny, but, you know, I was kind of quite, quite enjoying hanging out with the characters before all the other stuff happens. Um, my big problem with it really is that Simon Pegg's character is a complete dick. I mean, he's meant to be a complete dick in the film, but it makes it difficult to empathise with the character you just don't really like. Um, so that, that kind of worked against it a little bit for me. Uh, but the rest of the cast are solid. Um, you've got Nick Frost playing very much against type to a large part of the film. Um, you've got Eddie Marzan, you've got um, Paddy Constantine, you've got um, Martin Freeman. Those are basically the five friends. And you've got uh, Rosamund Pike turns up as a sister of Martin Freeman. Um, and then a whole bunch of other people that you know you would recognise from, from things like Spaced and also from their movies. And um, yeah, it's, it's very funny. There's some absolutely laugh out low moments in it. Um, there's a lot of action scenes, which... To me, to be honest, you know, uh, funny for a bit, then sort of kind of go on a bit too long. Um, and none, none of them are as clever or as funny as the scene when they're beating up the uh, zombie with the pool cues to can't, Don't Stop Me Now in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and it kind of felt like they were trying to... Re- at times in the film, it felt like they were repeating themselves a bit too much. It's like we've seen it all before. It's just more of the same stuff. Um, there are obviously references to the previous films. There's obviously the running gag with the fence, jumping over the fence. And obviously a Cornetto appears at one point, um, sort of. If you like the previous two movies, you will definitely enjoy this. Uh, if you like Peg and Frost and Co, you'll enjoy it. Uh, as always, I thought that um, Edgar Wright's direction was superb. He, he's, he, I love the way that he you know, he does those quick cuts with things like pints being pulled um, or close-ups of things. Um, it's always very funny. It's, it's full of, you know, it gives the film a certain energy that I really enjoyed. Um, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun two hours at the movies. But I, I don't do any more, boys. Do something different now because it's starting to drag a little bit. It must have said my wife went to see it yesterday. And um, for much the reasons that you're picking up there was uh, rather less complimentary than you were. Um, so it's a sort of lot of, uh, a slight, slightly different sort of take on it. But yeah, uh, it picked up on exactly the same things and just found it a bit tired. And, and yes, it, it feels a bit disjointed. Two, two films sort of sewn together somewhat badly in the middle. We see, as much as I, l- I really love Shaun of the Dead and I absolutely adore Hot Fuzz, neither of them are a patch on Spaced for me. Uh, it, Spaced was, you know, them at, it was at about the best. us, wasn't it? Trio yeah, well, of Peg, Hines and, and, and Wright. Yeah. I think that was yeah. at its peak during Spaced. And they've and since, since um, uh, our name's not Hines anymore, is it? It's, um, it's Jacob Stevenson. Stevenson, yeah. yeah. Um, since, since she's sort of gone off, got married, and done her own thing, and and the boys have just become boys, you know, they don't have that that kind of calming edge. I don't know. 
I don't know what it is, but I much preferred space to uh, any of the movies. Gotta say, I don't, I don't, there was a really lack of female characters in it. Come think about it, Osman, Osman Pike's the only character in in the end, the only female character in the world's end. Do you not know, think that's kind of because they've gone towards making these genre films because of the fact that space was space was almost like this series of little vignettes, all about pretty much nothing, but you know, just funny little stories that they could afford to have you know different characters and and the female character did kind of offset these oddball males whereas when you're making like a genre film it it all seems quite you know like i mean making a, a film like Shaun of the Dead it's like they can't quite believe they've been paid to do this you know it, it's all kind of fun and games but you know i think if if they if they move on from there if they take that out and if they just kind of go towards very smart almost character comedy drama i think they could really make something very much lasting there and quite substantial. I know you should yeah, never exactly. I know you should never wish for things that are in the past, but I really do wish they would consider going back to space. You know, mm. twenty years on from from where they left off on, you know, what what are the characters up to now, that kind of thing. I think it'd make great T V. But Indeed. you know, these guys have got really big careers now, so you know, is it something that they would that they would want to go back to? And I have my doubts on that one. I don't think we'll ever see another series of space but um for me space was was the pinnacle for for those guys the movies are good i haven't seen the world's end yet i intend to go and see it but you know as good as sean and hot fuzz was for me it, it was always a tv thing uh, just to wrap up on movies and tv just one thing that is uh, breaking news uh, at the moment and it'll be out of date by the time this podcast goes out uh, but that's 12 monkeys the 1995 uh terry gilliam film is rumoured to be going to sci-fi according to the Hollywood Reporter uh, like I say this news is just breaking at the moment um, they are saying that a new s- series will reportedly start with a 90 minute backdoor pilot similar to Battlestar Galactica uh, and then the, it will go on an initial season season of 8 to 10 episodes and that's all the details we have at the minute now 12 Monkeys one of my all time favourite films uh, will be in my top 10 Guys, is this a good move? It really could. I mean, I, I agree with you, Phil. It's one of my favourites. Uh, top 10 is a bit strong. Definitely top 25. Um, and it's like so many things. I mean, I, I've got to admit that, um, I mean, I guess, once again, my wife was more of a fan than I, but when the, there was the initial sort of in, in, uh, description of the uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles for Terminator, I thought that would sounded like a complete load of chud and to be honest a lot of it worked out an awful lot better than i thought it would so i'm not averse to the the the, the principle of it but it, it lives or dies on the quality uh, you know the, the, who they've got to do it and and you know whether they already have some sort of overarching plan or whether they're hoping to wing it and that generally doesn't always work out as well as they'd hope well i mean sci-fi they do have uh, some good pedigree here with battlestar galactica um, now, when that when we were told that that was going to be rebooted, I think we were all kind of the same, weren't we? It's like, oh, you know, is this going to be camp? Is this is this going to work? Is it going to work for uh, the time we're in now? You know, we were bereft of decent sci-fi, um, but that worked. That was, you know, probably one of my favourite TV programmes of the last uh, last decade. Well, see, I think something like Battlestar Galactica, you can see where they could keep it going for more seasons or they could suddenly just say this is the last season and finish it off because it's about combat and therefore it's about something that you can see a finite end to. My worry about something like 12 Monkeys is that I, I just fear that it will fall into lost territory, 
that sense of when you're dealing with something that, say, deals with themes of time. Tra- <laughs> Who is that? That might be me. Um, when you're dealing with something that, say, deals with causality and, and time travel and the like, the threads have to be kind of implanted long before you get to any kind of finality, long before you get to any kind of conclusion. So therefore, you can't suddenly rush it if if you fear that you're going to get cancelled next season. You know, you're not going to get another season. By the same token, it, it might just fall into lost territory for me, which is that that sneaking suspicion that they're making it up as they go along, that there is no grand overarching scheme. There's no big story plan. It's all a little bit kind of, you know, George Lucas, I penned this, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the film's very much like that. The film's very much, you know, is this reality? Is this actually going on? And I get your whole lost analogy there. I think you're probably going to be spot on there. They're going to play about with that. Simon? Um, I didn't really like the film. Um, I I know that might shock you. I, I only watched it relatively recently, year maybe two years ago and I've always you know thought I'd really like it you know it's got a great pedigree um Gilliam is a fabulous director that he's got intricate details in the way he films you've got um Willis in the lead uh it was an, an early part for uh Brad Pitt um I thought oh this is going to be great and I watched it and I thought well why have I waited so long to watch this and I really didn't enjoy it so for me the because there's going to be a TV series of it, I'm not interested at all. Yeah, okay. Well, it, it is one of those things that um, it, it did at the time. It split opinion at the time. You know, um, it's it's just one of those stories. One of those uh, that you either get it and you like it, or you don't really go with it and you think no, this is rubbish. Um, so yeah, it is. It, it is like that. It does. Although for extras wise. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary now. I think it was something the, like hamster, the hamster, hamster effect. Factor. The hamster yeah. factor. That's the one. That was absolutely brilliant. That was brilliant. Probably yeah, I really enjoyed of, that. Probably one of the best extras ever on a desk. That so. Mm. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's that news. And uh, just to wrap up really quickly on the movies, uh, Simon, what's coming up? Okay, what well, we are releasing uh, hopefully with the next seven days post uh, dependent, of course, as of everything. We have uh, side effects. Looking forward to that one. Uh, we have Circus de Soleil, Worlds Away in 3D. Mm-hmm. Matt's looking at that. I think he went to see it, um, actually see it in real life. So it might be interesting to see how he's, how it fares up on a Blu-ray. We've got the Paperboy coming up, which is um, sounds absolutely horrific. A really nasty, grim film uh, that's been given some lush treatment. Um, Kaz looked at that one. Mm, that's really going to divide opinion as well. And uh, Chris will be looking at um, uh, some early 80s horror, The Brood, which uh, needs no introduction, and he'll give it his lavish treatment. So hopefully they'll be coming up in the next seven days. So let's move on to uh, some quick games news. Obviously, the games podcast uh, does come up on the 14th of every month. If you haven't listened to this month's podcast yet, then uh, go and download it and give it a listen. Uh, but Mark, what's happening uh, news-wise? I understand there's something at Comic-Con about the Xbox One. Yes, uh, back to San Diego, and there's been a little panel, and we've seen some of the Xbox One features. Um, notably, the recording of the last five minutes of gameplay. Um, 
it's finally something that seems to integrate connect so if you're playing a game and you don't want to have to pause then you can just say xbox record and it will save the last 30 seconds of the gameplay to your hard drive and then you can go back and edit it later which seems pretty cool feature um other than that more connect things um controller recognition so if you pass a pad to a friend or something whilst playing it'll automatically switch your profile and, and your preferences and the like so if you've got a particular control scheme that you prefer connect will recognize you and recognize that you're now holding the controller um it's supposed to be you know we're getting details about how much more powerful how much um more fine-tuned it is than than the the original connect it can detect finger movement within three meters until folds in the face there's you can scan your face in and put it over your avatar and you know that kind of thing and i suppose the final thing they're pushing their extra little bit of technology with smart glass um you can set up games from it they've revealed so that you can be ready to play a multiplayer game whilst you're playing another game at the same time and then only when everyone's ready and you can check the, the status on smart glass on your tablet and so almost instant switching it's it's kind of slightly kneecapped in the sense that you're not doing instant switching as it originally was planned whereby all games would be on the hard drive but still by the same token it's a pretty nifty feature didn't they also say, Mark, that uh, Kinect will work from as little as a metre away now, which should be a, a bit of a concern now for uh, UK households that don't have these massive, great uh, living rooms that, the U- that they do in the USA. So it'll now function perfectly well from only a metre away from the subject, which is going to be good news for some. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see, obviously. Fingers crossed it'll detect that. Yeah. <laughs> Power glove. Because <laughs> <laughs> taking that, I mean, that's all pretty good news. You know, new features, you can finally see a reason why that extra, you know, 80 quid over the price of the PS4, which obviously is the price of the Kinect, uh, what that's finally come into play for. But it, it seems like Microsoft can't catch a break. And on any day when there's a little bit of good news or any week when there's a little bit of good news, there's a little bit of bad news. And again, this the story about um, whether they were slightly cooperating too freely with the NSA um, and handing over Outlook and Skype information seems to raise its head again simply because they've they've commented on it here saying that you know they they'd like to to clarify the situation but they're they're not legally allowed to do so and it, it just kind of raises that fear again it, it, it puts connect right back in the headlines the fact that they're they're pushing video calls via Skype via connect and all of a sudden you know this this pulls it right back up to the the forefront of people's thoughts when buying the console which is you know it's it's one of those kind of sad sad situations where you just think the story's not going to die i mean when you look at the guardian piece the amount of other companies involved it does seem like microsoft just continued to shoot themselves in the foot i mean am i the only one that's surprised with this whole snowden thing and this whole prism and the nsa and you know we all knew that this was going on didn't we? I have to admit, I com- I completely agree with you. Um, uh, that the, there's been a whole element of this is news from 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 start to finish on this. Yeah, but if you um if you uh, fancy um, strapping on your uh, your tin helmet and uh, and having a look at at, um, at some some proper moral outrage, you can you can swing by the politics and the economy for uh, uh, section. <laughs> and uh, there, there are people that, that simply don't agree with you on that. I, I, so. I think I think I'll give it a miss. But I mean, <laughs> as as someone who used to work in law enforcement, um, there are things that you have to do to get your hands on this data um and one of the main things is it has to be tested in a court 
Now, whether that's in private with magistrates, whether that's in private with a judge or whatever, you need a court order before you can get any of the information that these companies hold. Um, and well, uh, steady. Are you talking about UK here or are you talking about US? Because that's I'm, I'm talking about UK, UK because obviously the finger was pointed at, the, uh, at Europe and at the at the UK through the whole prism thing. But that's how it has to happen. And because evidence wouldn't stand up in court if it wasn't done right. If it wasn't pro processed right, then you can't use that evidence in court to prove your case. So if you're looking you're for a terrorist or something like that, um, and you're getting all this information from these companies, there has to be a paper trail uh, for it to be evidentially used in court. So I believe you plan well, on going to court. If Phil. you plan on going to court, you're assuming that these people are going to end up in a US court. It, it's, well, we, you know, or just get shot in the back of the head well, well, by a look, CIA operative. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll put it this way. You know, are the CIA interested in any of us here on on the really boring shit that we do from day to day and what we look at on the internet? Only we start saying the word jihad quite a lot. Or, well, this is the whole thing. They have. Muhammad. They have. Uh, you know um, these algorithms in place that pick up on stuff and they'll look at stuff and then if they don't think it's worth following up because they don't have the resources to follow everything up so you know even the US they don't have the resources to follow every single thing and just look at what happened in London um, with that poor soldier these guys were flagged up these guys were followed the, their information was looked at and in in the end the decision was made that they're low-key, let's move on to something else because they don't have the resources. So this whole thing about, oh, the Kinect's going to be spying on me when I'm, when I'm sitting uh, looking at Pornhub rubbish. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. they're not interested. No, the, the, but the worry is you can understand from people's perspectives there's a difference between saying I always assumed this was going on and a difference between saying I was assumed it was right. You know, that you're still talking about a, a matter of privacy whereby it's not disclosed that, in fact, you've, you've, you haven't even given tacit consent to that. And then you also come into the, the fact that, say, if Microsoft were to give over your information towards advertisers and the like, you know, they're now people were, were very much paranoid that, you know, there was early talk about patents for the Connect picking up what particular products were in your room and then, you know, beaming adverts to you and the like. I suppose it, it's, it still comes back to that question about yeah, well, I mean, have that, you given consent for it and what's it going to be used for in the end? I mean, if, Well, that if, moves things on slightly from the NSA. I mean, when you start moving into you know, it being used in a commercial manner, um, then yes, there should be safeguards. This shouldn't just be giving out your information. How many calls have you had for PPI recently on your mobile and on your landline? Where, where are they getting that information from? That is a concern. I, I agree with you totally. When it comes to spying, and and this is what journalists being journalists are really uh, trying to find the story here and the whole thing with Snowden, that's, that's where things are getting blown out of proportion, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I do completely agree with you. It, but I, I would say that there's a little caveat, which is that perhaps the NSA doesn't have the greatest track record with regards how it approaches uh, journalists and whistleblowers and the like, and so therefore the question is what is in, you know, the term what's in the national interest it has been seen to be pretty widely abused in the past. Yeah, about, you know, the whole American thing. I mean, you just have to look at the Patriot Act, which was brought in after 9-11. Um, I mean, that, that kind of legislation would never have gotten through if 9-11 hadn't happened. And that that is worrying. That that legislation really is worrying. If you're an American, you know, for for a country that keeps saying that the land of the free, 
they're not that free actually when you start looking at what you know the authorities over there can do and thank god you know our, our authorities are a little bit more but the point is can i just say though the point is is that they have to actually go through more uh, jump through more hoops to intercept information for us citizens than for uk citizens the point is that the majority of internet traffic is funneled through servers and the like that go through the united states and with regards say um looking into information gathered through you know outlook and skype and the like it came out that they would have to be i think they you know on the balance of things 51 percent sure that it would lead to something with regards u.s citizens and it would have to be based on individual cases for foreign nationals they don't have to prove that yeah. so in fact in many ways you're better off if you're a u.s citizen yeah I, but again i keep coming back to this thing about you know resources you know they can't be listening to everyone um and people who think that um, they are being watched on a daily basis. That's just paranoia, I'm afraid. Um, I just, don't know, Phil. I watched First of Interest. It seemed very, very convincing to me, anyway. So, <laughs> no, um, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Sorry. Um, the it's interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we we keep talking about prison. We've also got GCHQ, to, you know, to consider it on a domestic sense about what they're looking at and, and and all the rest of it. But I, I mean, I don't like the strap line. If you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, so on and so forth. It goes counter to what we were jesting about earlier on with the pornography thing. But um, there are there there is an understanding that to an extent, when when you're dealing with when you're dealing with things at an international level. Um, the, the 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 individual. I mean, obviously, your rights remain uh, remain inviolate as they are, but they're um, the, 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 the 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 rules of the game change ever so slightly. And enemy of the state, you know, with the satellites that can you know, pinpoint you within a few inches. Um, yeah, okay, Hollywood, well done. So, um, putting the whole spying thing and having to opt in to look at porn to one side. I'm sure that these are subjects we're going to come back to. Uh, much later down the line on uh, future podcasts. Uh, but let's stick with Microsoft and uh, Windows RT. Um, I have to put my hand up, Mark uh, yeah. Hodge, and say that uh, Windows RT, it's passed me by. I, I, don't I, think, really I think that's the problem with everyone. <laughs> it's passed everyone by. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't well, know what RT uh, means. Microsoft announced a price drop last week, I think it was this time last week, uh, quite a colossal 30% off the asking price for the base model, which has gone down from 399 to 279 although that's without the uh, the clip-on keyboard. Um, and a couple of days later, it emerged the reason why, although we probably could all have guessed, uh, is the fact that Microsoft uh, sat on uh, an estimated um, 6 million um, of, the, <laughs> of the tablets unsold, which cost them uh, around about five hundred ninety-one million pounds uh, off their last financial um, well, they, they declaration. Could, they could give them so, a, give them away free with Windows phones. Everybody. Well, yeah. So they've sold less than nine hundred thousand in, in all the time they've been on to the market. Uh, to give you a quick comparison, I think the iPad sold twenty-three million in the same period. <laughs> so it, hang, hang on, Bit of quick maths here, so right off 600 million, six million unsold, 100 quid each. They're still making 170 quid even with the price cut. 
<laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, it just seems <laughs> that no one's buying into uh, Windows Mobile. Uh, they've announced a reshuffle as Microsoft this week with with the focus on on very much uh, getting that into the people's mindset that they are uh, they are equipped for the mobile generation, the post PC generation. But they're just you know they're not cool, are they? Microsoft are not a cool company, uh, and everyone looks for Google and Apple for their, mo- their uh, mobile devices. You so. see, the, the thing that Gates said a long time ago was, we're not a hardware company, we're a software company. Yeah. And it, this kind of just proves the point. I mean, every bit of hardware that they bring out, per- <laughs> perhaps the, the Xbox... I think the original Xbox was uh, was a triumph in terms of um, an Xbox. Build, build quality, but then the next one just fell apart within you know a few weeks. Yeah. but and still, then, the 360 sold really well for a bit for a bit of hardware uh, over its seven year life. But everything else that they've attempted hardware wise, uh, I, I don't think. I mean, I've not used one. Has anyone used a, a, a Windows tablet? Well, here's the thing. I mean, no, I, I I was I was looking at this as a subject matter, and obviously I've seen the news stories as well. And I was thinking, well, have I actually spent any time with one? And and no, I I haven't. And what always has puzzled me is I'm, I I've, I do sort of consultancy work for manufacturers, so and it still crops up as a as a as a question mark on the sort of development roadmaps for companies. It's like, okay, we've got iOS control apps for a product. We've got uh, Android control apps. Um, do, we, do we need Windows RT? And it, no one at any stage uh, during those discussion phases has gone, well, as far as I can understand, they uh, sold the square root of sod all. So no. So there's been a gap in certainly in the very limited world in which I operate. I make no bones about that. There's a, there's a gap in perception as to, as to I think, what... I think it is, yeah. I think I understand, I understand the hardware is actually not that bad at all, but it's made be a lot of the uh, the fact that Windows 8 wasn't particularly touch friendly, and they tried, they tried to shoe on touch controls in a bit, and you've got you part on your keyboard, you part touching the uh, touching the screen, so it's just a bit of a confused experience for the consumer. Uh, and adver- they had that advert to launch it. Uh, it was just before Christmas, was it last year? Uh, with people just dancing around these things, it didn't really show what it could do. It, it was. You know what is it? Is it a small yeah, laptop? Yeah. You know, is it a tablet? What 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 well, does it do? You see, that's uh, that's where that's where Apple absolutely kill it because if you look yeah. at any Apple advert, it's it, it's just the product working. Yeah, and that iPad Mini advert with the uh, piano, uh, the two pianos with the the iPod, uh, the larger iPad and the Mini iPad together. It's fantastic. It's so simple. It's just it just shows you what it is, and you know, it's yeah. yeah. Microsoft yeah. could learn many things now you uh, see the, the, the one thing we keep hearing from uh, certainly the South Korean companies like LG and Samsung are that um, they really struggle for software development um, when I was over there with LG that was the one thing that, that came out of a conversation we had with engineers is that they are desperate for software engineers they're desperate for good software so why are LG and Samsung not getting into bed with Microsoft who are good at software and that's that's what they do do well. Yeah, LG uh, seems to be leaning towards Google, don't they? For um, well, they've had a few Google TV products and, yeah, and what have you. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. Microsoft, this somebody should be perhaps Samsung should be approaching them to to build some of their software expertise into their products. And maybe they are. Maybe they're behind the scenes. It's 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 um, Samsung and Apple actually are friends. <laughs> well, they're talking <laughs> again, aren't they? Yeah, they are talking. Aren't they making their? They're um, making the chips for the new iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Which is reporting to be uh, that was another thing that came out and it was semi-related with the uh, Apple are now looking at um, 13-inch iPads for, for a possible product. I mean, they could be looking at anything, but it was a report from the uh, Wall Street Journal. We were reasonably, you know, reasonably good track record in these things. Um, 
and uh, they've asked their suppliers to p- provide prototypes for um, larger screen oh, iPhones no, and that, larger screen iPads. That would just oh, be a pe- that would just be a pain in the ass for me. It's too big, isn't it? It's, 13 too, it's inches. too big. It's too big to fit in the hands. I mean, that's the whole point of a tablet. You know, if, if you want a, just get heavy. a 13 inch screen, um, then get a yeah, netbook. Yeah. Net, netbook. Get get yourself a, a Mac Air or something like that. You know, and, and you have the the advantages of bigger processors and and so on. Uh, to go with it, I, I don't see the point of a 13-inch iPad. I just don't get that at all. No, I, don't. It, I mean we've got iPad and a which uh, full-sized iPad for and a Kindle, uh, which is what seven point something inch, seven point six inch screen. And Kindle gets used more. It's more. It's more mobile. It's more portable. It's a bit. It's nicer to hold. It doesn't get heavy. It doesn't get fatiguing. Um, and on a related subject, um, we're expecting some photos emerged of uh, the uh, the Nexus 7 II, uh, which is expected to be released uh, or announced rather in a Google press event that's taking place in the States on Wednesday. Uh, and it just looks exactly the same as the old one, bar no knobbly bits on the other side. But it's reported to have a, a 1920 by 1200 pixel resolution screen, which is a big improvement over the existing, which I think is 1366 by 768 from memory. Uh, and a rear-facing camera, a 5 megapixel, you know the word, megapixel, <laughs> rear-facing camera, which the old one doesn't have. Uh, it just has a crappy front-facing camera. Uh, and a snappier uh, processor, literally Snapdragon 1.5 gigahertz processor. <laughs> uh, so, Mark, just to wrap up on this, there's a line in my running order here that says more women in the UK own a tablet than men. Explain that, please. Um, well, <laughs> well, if that's not explanation enough, there's a YouGov. <laughs> it's a YouGov. <laughs> yeah, but no, not to say, actually, no, no. There's a bit more. To they were than gifts. That. They were get they get handed down by the tech they savvy pink. partners. So the, the the male the must have uh, this is uh, appalling sexism, but this is YouGov data, so not my fault. Um, it shows that the the um, early adopters are men. They go out and buy these products, and then they are passing them on to their other halves or uh, female relatives. And it's got to the extent now where um, tablet ownership in this country is fifty two percent. In to forty eight percent in favour of the ladies, um, so which is a growth in nine percent. Sorry, <laughs> that, how is that statistical data? That's fifty fifty for Christ's sake. That's oh, isn't that, isn't that oh, just a differentiation of men and women in the UK? Isn't it? Is that fifty one percent women, forty nine percent men? It's a nine so, percent increase from last time. So it's, it's interesting. In its way, I think that the, the most interesting thing is it shows that twenty two percent of the UK public now own a tablet which is pretty rapid growth for a new product uh, and and only and only going to get more popular they become you know everyone's going to have them they become like smartphones unless smartphones continue to get bigger where the two just meet in the middle hp and dell must be uh, crying at the moment um because you just have to look at the sales of desktop pcs and it's just dropping well yeah uh, we're obviously not good news for microsoft as well so uh, they're slumping all over the place the post-PC age is upon us. So that's it for the AV Forums podcast this week. My thanks to Mark Hodgkinson, Mark Botwright, Steve Weathers, Ed Selly and Simon Cross. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Phil. Uh, sorry, can I just say one last thing before we go? I've just realised who you should go to Comic-Con dressed as, Phil. Go on. Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that would work. If, if, I, can, if I can have strawberry canettos the whole week, then uh, if you that's can a find deal. your copper outfit, <laughs> that's that's a deal, and still fit into it. You can <laughs> that's a deal. Okay, so we have to end it. So you can follow us on Twitter uh, and also at facebook.com forward slash avforums. Also, don't forget to bookmark avforums.com for the latest reviews, news, and videos. Uh, plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show? And I'm Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday.